Hello there, I'm Miranda Gretton and this is Take a Moment with NCHC, the show where we talk to you and your colleagues about experiences that affect you. Listen on your drive between patients or in your downtime, whenever you get the chance to take a moment. I'm John Kennedy. I'm in my second spell as a non-executive director. I've lived in Norfolk all my life, so I have a good experience of really the Norfolk culture. Hello, my name is Jokey Axley. I'm also a non-executive director. I was born and brought up in Kenya, and then I came over to study at the UEA, and ever since I've always been in Norwich in Norfolk. We hear this term NED a lot, and I've heard you both say it's non-executive director, but what does that actually mean? What, what do you do for the trust in that capacity? So in my role, I particularly have two remits at the moment. One's in freedom to speak up, the other's as a champion for equality and diversity. And being on the board, I perceive it more or less as being the conscience of the trust, holding our chief exec and his executives accountable for what they do. Do we actually achieve our mission? Do we get there? So I see ourselves as having a bit of a guardian role, if you like, in the long term. In the short term, it's more around challenge. Are we doing the best we can for our patients, for our staff? For me, the priorities and and each non-exec director gets their own handful of priorities they need to focus on to ensure that we, we, we cover everything across us as a board. Um, mine is the uh, NCHC strategy, along with the strategy of the ICS, the integrated system across Norfolk and Waveney. Um, in addition to that, um, I'm chair of the audit committee. I want to start by talking about the theme for Black History Month this year, which is time for change, action, not words. And I'm really interested to hear from both of you on what this theme means to you personally. So, John, what does it mean to you as an ally? I think as a, as a non-executive director, what I'm looking for is the executives and the management team ensuring the culture of the organisation has a real diverse focus. And we're continually ensuring the executive and management are focusing in on areas where there might be an element of, I guess, inequality popping out. And day to day, that can happen because a management team are focusing on so many different things. We as a board try and keep that assurance that um, uh, these things don't slip through the net. I guess from my perspective with board, particularly with our exec, I've been really pleased when they've looked to change their mindsets, look to change their attitude and their outlook and actually try and understand the perspective of someone who's a minority, someone who's experiencing racism, understand it from what does it mean on my day shift today? What will it mean on my night shift when I go out to see someone in the community? And I guess from that kind of change in mind shift, want to see then the actions coming through so then you don't have things like institutional racism or institutional bias. For me I'm looking to test and challenge our exec in that perspective on a personal basis and then to see the actions follow through in our culture, our strategy, all those kind of things and make it a better place for people to work. You said you're really impressed with how they are able to change their mindset. And, you know, we've seen events such as the one we held last week where the CEO and the director of nursing came on to an Ask the CEO special to talk exclusively on equality, diversity and inclusion questions. Even just by having that event, that's a really good step forward, isn't it? That they're willing to have these conversations and they're willing to be challenged. Are you getting good feedback that things like that are working? 
Yes, definitely. And it's starting to come through in um, our senior management team as well. I particularly want to raise or celebrate what happened in West Place, for instance. They had big conversation about race and how it impacts. It doesn't stop people still experiencing racism. That is the sad fact. Um, you might still go out as a black person or a nurse who's working for NCHNC and a patient says, I don't want you to treat me. And we were talking about this with John um, and kind of reflecting on it. And we wondered if it was a generational thing. And I think, John, I won't put words in your mouth, but you had a really interesting perspective about, say, for your young, for the younger people, for younger generations. They call it out much quicker than we perhaps do for the older generations. And that's where we kind of need to get to that stage of, do you know what, we're not going to live like this anymore. We're not going to um, sideline folks because they have so much to give besides the sort of superficial element of looking at someone's skin colour and then choosing how to treat them on that basis. I think that's one of the advantages of, you know, 40 plus years in, in Norfolk is that I have... I've definitely seen a positive shift. Uh, I do think it's generational to a degree, but the reality is that um, we've got a generation that I'm very proud of. Um, and, you know, I put my own children into this bracket. You know, they would call anyone out at any time about anything that's derogatory. You will never, in my view, you will never need, uh, you'll never have a need to stop. I think, you know, a culture for an organisation is driven by its leadership. You will always need to have it at the centre of the way that you behave and then you will be inclusive. In terms of action, not words, I think you're absolutely right. You need to be able to see that and feel it running through an organisation. But you also need people to report incidents when they happen so that we can start to look to stamp things out. But how do we hold those people to account if people aren't reporting it? I guess the worry for the staff member is nothing will happen. What can we do if that situation arises? What is the action? We had this particular case reported to us and this person was actually open about it and she'd gone out. She was the more senior clinician and she'd gone out along with the HCA who are physically white and she's black. So just to use those terms and the patient refused to have the treatment. There is a real worry about the actual person's health the end of the day we're there to support and treat people and so it was a very difficult balancing act if you refuse that treatment and that person goes without the treatment then what happens kind of thing and I suppose that's where it gets really difficult for staff but the point was afterwards we as members who had heard of what had happened we needed to actually then say well this is how we can change it this is how we can make it better actually you've had a tough time do you need any well-being support to go through what's happened to you because it is traumatic when those kind of things happen to you and especially if it's happening all the time in your day-to-day -day work so the point was I felt from my perspective one we spoke about it much more openly than we ever have in the past and two we looked at the ethics of it and we came to the conclusion it wasn't as straightforward it's not as easy as you want it to be like, we'll refuse the treatment. That's not necessarily going to cut the mustard because that is at the end of the day, somebody who needs our help. That's where it's getting difficult. 
and we still haven't bottomed that out well enough from my point of view. How would we actually get back to that patient and say to them, look, this incident that happened, that wasn't right. If this happens again, we might have to modify the treatment that we give you or I don't know or insist that the same person treats you. But it's very difficult ethically. Do you make that person continue when both neither nor the other wants to be in that situation? I think you're absolutely right in that there's that extra element from this. Brilliant that everyone is talking about it, but we definitely need to get back to that patient and do that education piece as to why that's not appropriate and that's not okay. And you're right, John, that we've come a long way in the Norfolk population. But it sort of feels to me like we're almost allowing that generation to to carry on and, until they're gone. And then we're hoping that the new one will just come through, you know, and it, 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 they're not going to be gone, a lot of them, for a long time. So are we going to just put up with it for ages, you know, or should we be educating the population? But again, how do you do that sensitively and safely? Yeah, I mean, it's a difficult, it's a difficult one, Miranda, you know, and I can certainly look back over the last five five years maybe in in, in an executive and management capacity when you're having to make difficult decisions different industry but I don't think it I don't think it matters you know and there have been numerous situations where you know we've had to deal with individuals who've who've shown bias to someone from a different heritage or or in fact it, it could be someone from the LGBTQ community I mean it doesn't it doesn't matter where it's from Someone who works for the organisation, there's a set of values that a board, and certainly I hold very close to my heart, you know, they're there for a reason. If someone breaks those values, personally, I don't have a lot of tolerance with it. I would hope that person could change, but you have to make a judgment. Um, to me, it's all about being fair. In terms of patience, you know, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting one. You know, I, I don't have a lot of sympathy for patients that show racism to our to our staff or in fact to anyone that is is trying to give them a service uh, there is an underlying we have to help people uh, that are obviously unwell um, that's a very difficult line to cross if you're in the middle of someone's you're in someone's home the generation point I I don't think you wait for it I just think you deal with individuals as and when it happens you know there's no excuses for anything so all I can say is in 30 years in Norfolk, it's significantly better. It's not perfect, but it is significantly better. And that means actually, if you see outliers, you shouldn't accept it because it has got better because people have dealt with, with the outliers over the last 30 years. And this is the point about the action element of actually changing things, removing these kind of issues happening and saying, yeah, we stand for these values and because that's one th thing that we all agree on, then yeah, we should do the actions that are needed. It will be hard, but we should do them. How else, specifically in your capacity as NEDS, can you better support our staff? And, and specifically as well, the members of our diverse heritage staff network and our non-minority ethnic staff to act in allyship? So the main thing we've been working on is around our recruitment practices. And there's still more to do. The big thing which I'm so happy about that we've done and we're trying to get through the organisation is a talent for growth programme. It's changing access to leadership opportunities and beyond, and I don't like to use this term, a band seven. We're taking it to band five and a band six, but that's the terms that we use. And the point is that we're saying leadership doesn't just happen in a linear fashion. 
for many people with diverse heritage, they have leadership roles outside of the NHS, which can easily be transferred into your working life. So it's really pushing and saying to managers, have that conversation with those band fives and sixes that you got. And it's just bringing that variety. So then we start to see our leadership level change. So the people who, who used to see in management positions will reflect the diversity that we got. But we're not quite there yet. And we were talking with John actually about this and we were saying about, for example, if you look at the stats about applications that come through and how they convert into actual appointments, it's still nowhere near good enough. And that's where the actions needed, I think, particularly because then once you have a diverse leadership group, immediately changes the conversation. It immediately changes the culture around the organization. We're no longer just us and them. It's all of us together. How do we advertise roles such as your own, such as non-executive director roles? Um, It would be really great to see other people of colour in the room alongside yourself, Jokey, for example. Let's say there are 10 applications at the table and they're all from white men. Mm -hmm. Why are people of diverse heritage, why are they not putting their applications in that pile of 10 people? Yeah, so Miranda, yeah, this is a good point. The issue is, is how it's advertised. So the roles are all advertised on, nowadays it's an NHS website, but it used to be the government website for public appointments. And a lot of people don't know that exists. And so you then find that the people who will look at that won't be people of colour necessarily. I did actually ask that question at ICS via our NED representing us and they actually changed that through that process and so they then started to look a little bit more broadly but it was all a little bit too late unfortunately. Quite a good proportion of the early applications in the process are from non-white and then by the time the, the, the appointments are made the proportion has significantly different and predominantly white and and so that's an uncomfortable position to be in when you see those statistics coming through so the advertising seems to capture a mixed variety of ethnic backgrounds actually it seems to but somehow through the process of actually appointment it's drilled down to white so we're looking into those statistics at the moment that was relatively new only a few months ago we start to get those statistics out and i know jokey's driving out from the people committee evidence why what is it so you know these things do take a bit of time but you do get behind it now actually it might be because the qualifications aren't quite there I I don't believe anything until I see the evidence and then we can really decide whether the right judgments were weighed and were the right people getting the job because that again should be the fundamental outcome is that you know particularly care people in this industry they have to be the right individuals that get the right jobs um, irrespective of background. I'm instantly thinking wouldn't it be great if in that filtering process that has to happen of course because you need to have the right skill set to do the job you're completely right but what if there was somebody who didn't quite meet the criteria but they were still super qualified for something else you know rather than just being like well sorry you're not qualified for this particular role and knocking their confidence and maybe making them think oh I won't apply for anything else ever again you know wouldn't it be great to go back to them and say have you thought about this role or this opportunity or have you thought about this area of the trust you know actually nurturing that talent Absolutely. And that was one of the things, uh, particularly with our new quality objective we've got for the next three years, recruitment is on there. 
And so those are the kind of things we'd be looking for. So someone's not quite ready now, but they will be in six to 12 months. They'll have that extra experience that they need. So why not? We would nurture them. And that's all part of good succession planning. You really are supporting our staff already in your capacities as NEDs. But we know that there's bullying behaviours in the organisation from the staff survey results. I'm interested in your opinions on this in relation to how we support nurses that we're recruiting from overseas. Why are the bad apples, as it were, not being reprimanded and asked to leave? Go back to what John was saying, shouldn't we hold everyone to account for our vision and values? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's where we're starting to see a change in the mind shift along the lines of actually we're not going to tolerate it. It is unacceptable and we won't have it anymore. And so if someone takes that ultimately really brave step to complain and imagine I was thinking about this today, if I was someone, well, personally myself, I was from overseas, if you like, I was from Kenya and I could completely understand how it felt or how it feels for, for the new nurses that we've had. You're coming into a new culture, new place. You're grateful that you've made it past all those you know, UKBA and the border agency, it's a real big, huge thing to get your visa. You're here, the conditions of you being here are you being in employment and you're doing what you love and you're supporting people and then you get the bad reactions or the bad or the racism, basically, to put it in a nutshell. So from my perspective, um, the answer is, please, please tell us about it tell someone about it. Don't just think that you'll complain and nobody hears. We look at, I speak very closely and talk to Mercy, the EDNI advisor. We have an anti-racism agenda where the chair is on that meeting as well. It doesn't stop the conversations continuing. Every six to eight weeks, we're meeting up, having a chat about racism and how we are anti-racist at NCHNC, and that is our culture. And we want to go more, we want to do more. So the, the thing is, if you don't stand for the values, you're not welcome. We really, really do believe in those values and we stand by them. And the worst bit about all of this, Miranda, is in our stats in the staff survey, harassment and bullying affects people of diverse heritage far more. If you look at our stats under the, um, so they put it under BAME, it's awful. And we haven't seen any changes on that. We're looking at our equality objective as a trust for the next three years. And that's on our list of things, to see a change in that. To see that change in those stats means that we've actually got the if effective action that we want to have happening. I think it's really important to to remember about the repercussions of things. I always think back to high school whenever I think of bullying because it's that's where it kind of stems from. And I think even as adults, it doesn't really change from the high school behaviours. It's very much, you know, you, you don't want to say anything because you don't want them to know you've dobbed them in, for example, because they might then be funny with you. You don't know what that repercussion is going to be. In some cases, you might be worried you're going to lose your job. Um, you know, you might be it might be a friendship circle that you might have to be telling on somebody in that friendship circle. And I think it, that kind of thing never changes. And so I think if we can have some reassurance for staff that you'll be kept safe, that you're that's the most important thing, that by speaking up against behaviours that go against the, the 
ethos of the organization you're doing the right thing and you will be protected you will be safe I think it's that reassurance that people need because saying come forward and speak up I think for me personally if I would be more worried about what might happen after I've spoken up than the speaking up itself yeah so Miranda totally get that completely get that and that's the beauty of freedom to speak up it's that you can take your time you can be absolutely in confidence Nick and Chuma will always follow up on any contact made and it doesn't have to be a big deal and there have been some really good examples where folk have spoken up and then they said look I'm too scared I don't know what will happen we can be as sensitive as we possibly can be and we can make it in a way that if you want to maintain your confidence that that, that it's just as a conversation starter it doesn't point at anybody just like just to reassure folk that actually it's a very sensitive process um, and it doesn't have to only be through feed that is just one of the tools that we've got there's loads of other things there's team time there's absolutely tons of things and actually we're trying to look at supervision again as well to try and bring that back as a day-to-day practice because a lot of people get something out of that so that as another opportunity as well so it's just understanding that isn't the only avenue there's lots of other avenues we are committed to changing things and it's on all levels it's that mind shift change that values um, conversation it's building that cultural element of it thank you for listening to take a moment with nchc if you've enjoyed this podcast please visit the podcast intranet page to leave a comment and for details of our other episodes You can also follow NCHC on all social media channels.